talking about that real love real love real love how do we make sure that what we're involved in is real love not some not some uh, made-up version of what love is some of us have been experiencing that for a long time and so welcome once again to 45th Street I know it sounds like you tune you tuned into the night grooves I want to thank the uh, musical staff here for really embracing the theme of this of this music of this uh, sermon series we call in real love. Yeah, they play songs that touch you, bring you to a place so the word can touch you and hopefully make you better. I want you to understand that um, we give them the freedom to go out and find that music that is appropriate, appropriate but it also touches us. And so I want to thank them for this song service this morning. It's been absolutely magnificent. Um, but our sermon series is called Real Love, and they can sing too now, come on now. They can sing, yeah. They can sing. It's Reg and T and D, that's our staff over there. They get down. Thank God for them, they all got fearing. All love the Lord. And I'm so glad that they are involved in teaching young folk the love of music in our community around here. Thank God for that. Let's go back to this sermon series we've been talking about for a few weeks. We've been talking about real love. We're talking about that real love. Real love. You know, the saddest thing in the world is to wake up one morning and realize that what you've been putting all your energies into has been something less than real. That's a moment of dejection. In some instances, it may be a moment of rejection. And I'm not telling anybody to jump up and go and terminate a relationship. What I am telling you through this sermon series is there's some things you ought to be looking for. There's some things that you need to invest in your relationship that will ensure that you have real love. We've been making sure we underpin everything with the word of God and this week won't be any different. And so if you've got your Bible, why don't you, turn, why don't you turn to Joshua chapter 7. And we're going to be right there in Joshua chapter 7. I know it seems a strange chapter for us to talk about this aspect of real love, but I think once you hear it, you'll understand why it's also appropriate uh, for us to use that as a foundational basis. Well, we've been through quite a few messages already. We started out a few weeks ago explaining to you why crumbs have no business in your relationship. Why you ought to give the one you love more than just the crumbs at the end of the day. Crumbs of your life. You ought to give them full slices of the cake that God has blessed you with. And then we started talking about the danger that comes from having unrealistic expectations within the confines of a relationship. Those, relation, those expectations can tear down Intimacy. We've been talking about that. We're going to talk about intimacy a lot today in the subject that we have. This is crucial. Unrealistic expectations can damage intimacy. And then we move to another topic that has been um, plaguing relationships for a long time. It's called, and though that topic was these three words. These three words was the next sermon. And the three words I'm talking about might initially seem to be I love you, but those aren't the three words we were talking about. 
the three words we were talking about was I am sorry. I am sorry. Much more powerful in most contexts. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to know from get-go that you've got to learn how to say I am sorry. You start out in that relationship with him and you ought to be able to spread it about. And then last week, last week we talked about unforgiveness. Not having the ability, not growing your ability to forgive people of the wrongs they have done to you. I'm not just talking about within your relationship, I'm talking about before you ever got into a relationship. Some folks show up in love and wounded and never deal with the woundedness and it impacts their relationship going forward. And you gotta learn how to forgive so you can do better and get better in your relationship. Now you expect for everybody to build up their lives around your woundedness. And life just isn't like that. People grow weary of you always being victim. And so you gotta learn how to forgive and move on. And this week we're gonna to move to what I think is another crucial topic. Another crucial topic on the pathway toward real love. <clears throat> Today I wanna to talk about something. Now you're gonna get mad at me. I'm not expecting a whole lot of amens out of this room. You're gonna get mad at me. I'm not expecting a whole lot of amens out of your room. Wherever you are, I just want you to listen. And I'm telling you on the front, going into this one, that this is a toe stepper. All right? If, it, if I step on your toes, as my brother and them say all the time, just say, ouch, and buy a bigger pair of shoes. Today, today I want to talk to you about secrets and lies and how they ruin lives. Secrets and lies and how they ruin, ruin, ruin lives, ruin lives. Back to Joshua, back to Joshua. Around the seventh chapter of Joshua, I'm gonna summarize this passage. Let me read a couple of verses from you. Starting at verse 24, I wanna read. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. And over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Ever since. That's verses 24 through 26. Joshua and all of Israel are stoning a man named Achan. What could have happened? to bring this kind of travesty on this man. Now watch this, if you didn't pay attention to what I read, not only did they stone him, they stoned his whole household, everything he owned that was alive was stoned and burned to death. Why? Well, you'll find the answer in verse 20 and 21. Watch this. It says, Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord. The God of Israel, watch this, this is what I have done. 
when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. You, if you want to write something in the margins of your Bible by that verse, write this, secret sin. All right, a secret sin. Let me see if I can give you some background on why Achan just got killed and why it affected the whole, the whole body of Israel. The Israelites are moving into the promised land. God has, instead of just giving it to them outright and removing all of the folk who occupy them, he's been making them earn it because they were faithless moving in. So they're going battle after battle, and God has given them the victory. See, they're not, they, they got a ragtag uh, group of men coming in, and yet they're defeating everyone. And God gets them ready to go into another city to win it. But he gives them some instructions before they go in. He said, when you go into this city, I want you to destroy everything in there except for the gold, the silver, because I want that for my own house. But everything else in there I want you to destroy. And as they thought they had gotten full of themselves, we're winning everywhere we go. They go in to attempt to occupy the land like they had been. And unfortunately, this time they were defeated. They didn't understand, T, why they had been defeated this time. They didn't know why the victory wasn't given to them like the previous battles. Joshua was lamenting the fact that God had forsaken them and was asking them, what had they done wrong? And that's when God told him earlier in that chapter 7 that someone in your camp has violated my direction, my command, that everything that you get be destroyed and that it be given to my house, the, the gold and the silver. And so Joshua called all the Israelites together and he started going tribe by tribe to identify who had violated God's command. Not only did they go tribe by tribe, they moved down from tribe, they went down to family, they went I mean, to clan and they went down to family. They went through person by person until they got to the house of Achan. And what we just read is Achan finally admitting that when we went in to destroy the land, I took something that the Lord said should have been reserved for him. I took it and I hid it in the ground. And because I took it and I hid it in the ground, I know I've sinned against God and all of Israel. Can you look at what I'm saying here? This one secret sin caused Israel to lose a battle. Come on, somebody. I wonder how many secret sins in our community are causing battles to be lost every day because we're not doing what God told us to do. Achan had it hidden in his tent and all his family paid the price for it. Every one of them was killed. 
<clears throat> as a result of Achan's secret sin. What's make, what makes this even worse is how this affects our family today. You think this is just some Old Testament story that does not have any application unto us today. Can I tell you something? God still expects us to take care of the business he's given us the way he's told us to do it. And if we're thinking that we can do anything we want to do and not have any consequences, I came to tell you that's not true. Some of you are struggling in your relationships because you're not following God's advice. Look, watch this. Two things about Achan. Achan was not in the place when God gave the command. He didn't hear the commands about God saying, do not take the, the holy things for yourselves. Do not take the gold and the silver. But there were another other folk there who did hear it, who should have made sure he understood what was going on. There were enough other folk there who was supposed to spread the word. Hello, witnessing. Hello, telling somebody who never come up in your church Never come in your Sabbath sanctuary, and yet there's a way, way they're supposed to live that you got to tell them about. That's Achan. But even if Achan didn't know that, even if Achan didn't know that, he wasn't supposed to take that. Why did he need gold and silver when God was giving him everything he needed to live every day? What made Achan get to a place in his life when he had to be bald and bigger than everybody else? In the community, everybody else was given manna. Everybody else was given the clothing. They're still in this period before they go into the promised land. And yet somewhere, somehow in his mind, he's got to be bigger than everybody else. That happens every day. That's why we tear up marriages all day long. I got to have a bigger car. I got to have a better house. I got to have all the things that I see them have on TV. And I'll do anything in order to get it. And ultimately, it ends up having a negative effect on his family. Watch this. We think that somehow withholding truth, having secret sins, is uh, somehow different than not telling the truth. Watch this. Let me give you an example. As a young boy came home from school, his mama said to him, hey, Johnny, how was school today? And Johnny said, it was great. It was great. <clears throat> she said, what'd you do? She said, well, we, he said, well, we went to the playground and we played. It was awesome. And so mama gets into uh, her evening, and before long, she gets a telephone call, and it's the principal. And she said, I was trying to get you home, let Johnny have time to get home from school, but I wanted you to know we had a problem today. Mama's confused. She said, well, that's interesting, because he told me he had a great day. Well, he said, not exactly. Said... Johnny and another little boy were at play, at recess, and decided they needed to use the restroom. And instead of going into the school to the restroom, they just pulled up beside a tree and went to the restroom. Mama, of course, is taken aback because Johnny has not told her these facts. And so she goes and she confronts Johnny and she says, Johnny, why did you tell me an untruth today? Why did you lie to me? And Johnny said, Mama, I didn't lie. I just didn't tell you. In Johnny's mind, just not telling was okay. Even though it was factually untrue, he did not have a good day. 
he ended up in the principal's office, he simply thought not telling was okay. He withheld the truth. Can I tell you something? A half-truth is a whole lie. A half-truth is a whole lie. Withholding information is just another form of lying. And so Achan came back from the battle. Let me tell you another part of this battle. You'll find out because I know you're curious now. You want to go read that chapter 7. 36 men died in that battle. 36 men died. 36 families lost somebody in their family. Israelites were defeated, which means shame was brought on the community. There are so many other repercussions that come about, all because Achan took something that he should not have taken, and it caused them to be defeated. Can I give you another example that might make this a little bit better? How about David and Bathsheba? Yeah, David thought it was okay for him to take another man's wife and to make her his. And when he found out that she was pregnant, he used the power of his office as king, as, as commander-in-chief, to cover up what he had done and ultimately used the power of his office as king and commander and chief to have that husband murdered all to hide a secret sin. Secrets and lies ruin lives. David did that. David did that. Now you say he married her later. The marriage was a continuing part of the conspiracy to cover up what he had done. God exacted punishment and that the baby from that union died. But look at the ramifications that came about. Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was a good military man who lost his life all because the commander-in-chief wanted his wife. Israel lost a good soldier all because of secrets and lies. Secrets and lies compromise intimacy in relationship. I've been relationships. I've been talking to you about that. We talked about intimacy a whole lot. The word intimacy means to be fully known. God created us to have intimacy. Watch this now. Walk with me. God's vision for our relationships is that we would experience intimacy, not only with one another, but especially with him. So even though we know that God has designed us for intimacy, most of us in our relationships won't get to that level of intimacy until we're able to be fully transparent with ourselves. Because what we end up doing is having what's called pain avoidance. We don't want the pain of telling the truth because we think that that truth is going to destroy everything we have. People don't leave marriages because it's too easy. Marriage isn't easy. People leave marriages because it's too painful to talk about the real issues. People don't get into relationships because it's too painful to talk about the real issues. People avoid pain at all costs. But if you embrace the principle of truth-telling, 
then the pain you experience will be worth fighting through. You got to learn how to get through that pain. Now, I know I'm stepping on some toes here, and I'm not telling somebody to run in right now and blurt out everything you've done. There's a process that has to be gone through so that you don't wreck people emotionally and psychologically or yourself. But intimacy is a byproduct of truth-telling. Let, let, let's, let's just pretend for a second that your marriage or relationship is like an iceberg. Like an iceberg. Most people know what an iceberg looks like because they've seen them on television or seen them in a book or online. But if you've never seen a true picture of an iceberg, what you really have seen is just the tip of the iceberg. Because most of an iceberg lies below what you're able to see. People have never understood that that's how it is in our lives. Most of what we let people see in our lives is just the tip of the iceberg. It's just what you see above the waterline. But there are a lot of waterlines in our lives. And we show people, depending on how close we are to them, different things at different waterlines. See, we have an image waterline. That's what we want folk to think about us. That, that's my job, my car, my house, the smile I put on my face, how I dress. This is my image. It's what shows above the waterline, and that's, that's what my neighbors see. That's what my coworkers can see, all right? But that's the area of my life that I work really, really hard to make impressive and noticeable. It's what other folk know about me. But then there's another waterline, a second waterline in most of our lives, and that's the water, the part that your, your spouse sees, all right? Yeah, you are dressed to the nines. What they don't know is all your socks got holes in them. That's, that's, that's below the second waterline. Your wife knows this. They don't know. They don't know that even though you're dressed to the nine, all your credit cards are maxed out. They don't know that even though you're dressed to the nines and present so well that your house is one payment away from foreclosure. That's another level below the waterline. People don't know this about you, but your spouse or your significant other does because they are at a different level of intimacy. But then there's another level of intimacy in your life that you haven't even opened up to your spouse. Yeah, it's below all of that that you allow them to know, and it's called hiddenness. And this is probably the reason all that other stuff is messing up in your life. It's the part of your heart that we won't even allow our spouse to see. I'm talking about real love now. When you love somebody, you'll let them know you and know you fully. I'm talking about real love. When you want them to be a part of your life, you want them to be a part of your whole life. Not just a little bit you put out there on the table, but your whole life. How many times has something happened to a person and only after that incident does a spouse find out that, yeah, he got another family on the other side of town. Hiddenness. How many times do we find out 
all the other things that he has been going out of town, he got another job, he got a whole criminal lifestyle. Hiddenness in your life. I told you this wasn't going to be pretty, but that's the part of our life that we keep away from other folk. In fact, what we say is, uh, I could never tell my husband or my spouse about that. Or if my wife ever knew that about me, it would be over. And what we realize is that in our marriage, that we don't want to spend the rest of our lives with this person. I mean, we want to spend the rest of our lives with this person, but we don't want to share all of our heart with them. We keep on putting out that part of the iceberg, fixing that up, doing everything in our power to make them continue to like us. When you let people below that waterline, it costs something. And our willingness to share that part of our heart increases the risk in our lives and makes us extremely vulnerable because, yes, when I expose this part of my life, they may make a choice not to be with me or to walk away, but it's their choice to make. And if they love me like they say they do and really want to know me with all my bumps and bruises, then that's the chance I got to take in order for us to have a truly intimate relationship. For most of us, we get into a place when we think that we can continue to hide this part of our heart from our spouse. But can I tell you something? It comes to a head. Everything comes out. You heard somebody say a long time ago that what we do in the dark will come to the light. Some of us are experiencing a lack of intimacy in our relationship because we've never truly been honest with our spouse. Can I tell you something? You can rock along like that for years, for years, and you'll think your relationship is okay. What you've done is made it okay to avoid telling the truth. But the day will come when truth will be essential. Truth will matter. And you might not have a say in how that truth comes out. And so you ought to learn how to tell the truth to three people. Come on, walk with me on this now. All right? You ought to learn how to, first of all, tell the truth to yourself. You need to learn how to be honest with yourself. The greatest deception of all is self-deception. When you're fooling yourself that everything is okay, well, then that is a form of mental illness. When you're fooling yourself, writer Mike Novak said, our capacity for self-deception has no known limits. No known limits. We can deceive ourselves. Can, can, I, can I give it to you from the Bible? 1 John 1 and 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Everybody's got something going on in their life that they're not happy with. We deceive ourselves. Maybe we deceive ourselves about our temper. Maybe we deceive ourselves about our schedule. I'm busier than I, I say I'm busier than I really am. Maybe I'm deceiving myself about uh, uh, my emotional relationship that I'm having with somebody at work. Well, we really just flirt all the time, but we ain't really in no relationship. And the truth of the matter is you're still in that time from your spouse. I told you I wasn't trying to make you happy today. I want to make you better in this. You got to stop all them emotional, adulterous affairs with folk if you want to be better. 
But we're fooling ourselves and we say it ain't nothing. Can I tell you something? Flirting stopped when you were in high school. You can't be 50 years old still flirting with folk and think that there are no consequences associated with that. David went for a whole year living in the vague self-deception about his sin to Bathsheba. He told himself, I'm the king and what I did is okay. And it was murder and adultery from day one. And yet he fooled himself. It wasn't until the preacher came in, the only one in the kingdom that had the courage to confront the king, that he realized that he had, that he accepted, let me say this, that he had sinned against God and he repented. God longs for us to be intimate with him and in our relationship. And so the first thing you got to do is start telling yourself the truth. Stop hiding from yourself. When I believe the lies I tell myself, I'm in a dangerous place. Second thing you need to learn how to do is, in addition to be truthful with yourself, is to be truthful with your spouse, your friends. If you're not in a relationship now, you're trying to be in a relationship, be truthful with your spouse or your friends. God created us to know and to be known. And so when I meet people all the time and I say to them, have you told your spouse this? Have you told your whoever it is that you check in with in life to make sure you're still on track. Because you got to have somebody. One sermon series, I said you need an editor in your life, somebody who can come along and who can tell you that's foul. Have you told them what's going on? Their response typically is, you got to be out of your mind. I never tell them anything like this. My, my, my spouse can never notice about me. Can I tell you something? It's fracturing, hurting your relationship. That level of intimacy. Because whatever it is, you're doing something to cover it up. So my question to you today is, is there something that you hope your spouse never knows about you? And if the answer is yes, then perhaps that's what's breaking the intimacy the two of you are reaching for. Secrets and lies. Secrets and lies ruin lives. And the third entity, person, I want you to be able to tell the truth to, in addition to yourself and to your spouse, takes courage now, is God. You need to be able to tell the truth to God. Look, Neil, uh, Neil Platinga wrote this. He said, I go hours, days, weeks at a time, never really thinking about him. Never really turning my heart and my will over to him. Never seriously attending to him. Never bringing him a sustained focus to my mind. The thought that I'm entangled more and more in the sin that brought Jesus to the cross. That thought becomes bearable. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then routine. And eventually, I find that God doesn't even really seem real because I've been dealing with the other part of my life so long, I'm not even communicating with God. And I find myself not praying all that much. The less I pray, the less God seems real to me. I forget God, and then before long, I forget sin. Yeah, that's what happens when we lie to ourselves and we lie to God. So how did David forget that he slept with Bathsheba? How do you go a whole year? How did he forget that he had a husband killed? 
when the report came back from the field saying that he's dead. How do you forget that and move on? Aiken, when they first started looking for what happened in the field, Aiken knew he had stolen something and buried it in his tent. Why did it take the whole community being searched before he finally admitted? Because it was painful. He knew he had done wrong. When we think that by not being honest with God, we're actually saving ourselves from the pain, and you can tell by those examples I've given you, they never avoided the pain. The pain was still there when they made the confession, and there were consequences. But John, 1 John 3, I mean 1 and 9 says that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. And you say, but hold up now, hold up. Achan died. How can that help me in this space? But he confessed before he died. He repented before he died. And so even though he was wrong and had consequences, I'm firmly believing that God is the God of his word and that Achan still got the ultimate reward even though he had consequences. See, we want all of it. We want to be righteous and right at the same time, even though we're doing wrong. And some of y'all feel a distance in your marriage, but it has nothing to do with the marriage. It has to do with your relationship with the Lord. Churches fail in this area, because we tell folk, go find you somebody, an accountability partner. Go find somebody. Yeah, Most couples will wear themselves out because they experience so much conflict because they never ever confess to the Lord what's really going on with them. They never get to the things that are hidden in their lives. Being partially honest with myself, being partially honest with my, my spouse, and being partially honest with my God, half truth is a whole lie. Church tells you, go learn your five love languages and go find out what it is that makes your spouse happy. Can I tell you something? Even if your spouse's love language is physical touch, lying still doesn't override that. You might know their physical touch. You might even take care of that responsibility. But if you're lying to them, you're still not intimate with them. We got to learn how to look for behavior modification to improve our relationships and our marriages. What we need is, I'm sorry, we got to look for a heart modification in order to transform our behavior. And we start just changing stuff we do without changing who we really are. And that's not helping us. And so, three things, and I'm out of here, tell you how to get better. Learn how to tell the truth to yourself. Learn how to tell the truth to your spouse. Learn how to tell the truth to God. Those are all hard. How do you do it? First, you need to value telling the truth. Value truth-telling more than your image. Achan wanted wealth, even if he had to steal from God and harm others. Taking care of all of the accoutrements. Everybody thinks Achan is a big baller. He never got a chance to benefit from it because it was all hidden away. But that's what he wanted. It's okay to not have it all together. Write this down. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to ask for help. 
For most of us, we've never had a great marriage model for us. And so we don't know the sacrifices that have to come into it. You would be surprised at the number of people who've never seen a good marriage in action. You would be surprised at the number of people who've never seen 50-year marriages day-to-day, -day, working out the problems that go in. For some reason, people think that because you got a 50-year marriage, you must have done everything right. It doesn't mean that. You got a 50-year marriage, that means that God has been blessing you even when you've done wrong. That's what it means. People think you have to do it all perfectly. There's an expectation that comes in now from brides and grooms that on the day we get married, we must have it all. And if you already have everything on the day you get married, what do you have to work for? What do you have to work toward? That's part of being married. That's that real love. That's that buying our first refrigerator together love. That's that buying our first vacuum cleaner together love. That's the kind of stuff that makes you take care of that refrigerator. Pay attention to what you put in there. If you pray for God to give you a refrigerator, you'll be more mindful of what you put in it. That's that real love. You don't have to show up with a 401k. You just got to show up with a mind that we're going to be together and the Lord's going to bless us. And if God can bless us with all that other stuff along the way, then that's a blessing to us. And I want to tell you, some people think that if you don't come with your sheet of activities and abilities and accomplishments, you're not a candidate. You ever heard of a diamond in the rough? A diamond in the rough looks like a lump of coal. It's not shined up. Life comes along and shines you up. Arguing and and disagreeing and growing, those are the things that come along and shine you up. And before long, you look around and you realize that when I first married him, he wouldn't even put a shirt and tie on. And now I'm looking at him walking our daughter down the aisle, and he never looked better in a shirt and tie than he looks today. We got to have different strategies for dealing with situations, but the first thing we got to do is learn how to tell the truth. I don't have it all together, and you don't have to have it all together either. First 10 years of our marriage, we struggled with finances. First 10 years of our marriage, we struggled with communicating with one another. It was just a struggle. Amazingly, amazingly, it wasn't a better job that got us communicating better. It was a better understanding of each other that got us communicating better. And for some reason, 10 to 20 flew by simply because we talked a little bit better. That's intimacy. Learn how to tell the truth. Pride can stop you from moving on. How about this? Value transparency above accountability. Be transparent. Be transparent. As a Christian, we use, trans we use the term accountability as a crutch. Oh, yeah, we do. We use that as a crutch. And some people don't put a whole lot of stock in the term accountability, right? Because we use it to make ourselves look more spiritual than we really are. Accountability is only as valuable as the transparency we offer in the context of accountability. Can I tell you something? 
You go out and you have an accountability partner. You talk to them. What they give you in terms of advice is only as good as what you've told them is going on. If you haven't been truthful to them, then they can't give you solid advice. All they're doing is shining up the mess you gave them. And so you need to learn how to be transparent with them. Yeah, it might make their eyes book. It might make them almost faint when you're that real with them. But that's the only way you can be helpful. And the reason why they can't really help you is because you have not valued transparency in the first place. Accountability without true transparency is like trying on clothes in the dressing room of a store and never wearing them outside in the first place. All you're doing is dressing up in there. You never put them on and walk out. So nobody ever sees what's really going on. Can I tell you something? When you try them clothes on in the dressing room, they reveal everything. They do. And you tell yourself, I'm putting this up. This ain't never coming out with me. And finally you put on something you want to wear out is because it shows you in your most flattering way. That's what we do. Can I tell you something? You need to wear some too tight jeans out sometime. Let folks see you with everything struggling. And then they can give you some advice. Oh, I see your problem here. Yeah. You need to value intimacy more than the absence of conflict. Most of the time in our relationships, all we do is pass by like ships in the night. We just don't want to fight. That doesn't mean we want to talk. It just means we don't want to fight. And so we end up creating zones in our relationships where we just don't say anything truthful just so we don't start an argument because if we touch on something that's too painful, it's just going to create conflict. Learn how to value intimacy. Know that the love you get after you talk about the problem you have is going to be worth more than keeping the peace. Keeping the peace can only last for so long. There's always going to be a touch point. When people really don't like one another, it won't be long before somebody says or does something that's going to make them go off. Okay, because your, your goal is pain avoidance, then all you do is create barriers that keep you from knowing the other person fully. Learn how to just tell the truth. And guess what happens when you do that? The other person learns how to receive the truth you tell. And even though that's painful, it also helps you to grow better. God has designed us for intimacy, to be fully known to fully know our spouse. And you won't drift into intimacy. You got to choose it. It's not just going to show up one day. The truth is this. The truth will set you free. But it'll probably make you miserable first. Thing I love about the story of Achan is that after his encounter, the, the Israelites experienced a great victory. So after there was this sin that was revealed, here comes a, di a, a dynamic victory for all of Israel. There were consequences, but there was also a validation of what God wanted for them. Honesty is risky. Look, before you can become a believer, you got to be honest with yourself. 
There are a whole lot of folk walking around right now fooling themselves, thinking, my life is good. I'm all right. What I need them church folk for? Why I need to be around them? I'm doing pretty good myself. Why I need to come confessing myself to Jesus Christ? Can I tell you something? You're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. But it's going to be painful for you to get to the place of realizing that instead of having you as your own God, you need somebody else to lead the way who is qualified to be not only God, but your Savior. You got to be honest enough to go through that painful realization that it's not you. Can I tell you, education won't be your God. A job won't be your God because just as soon as you got that job today, you cannot have it tomorrow. I don't care if it is your dream job. Yeah, every now and then them dreams stop and you wake up. That's how life is. But can I tell you that there is one who died for us, who loves us, who is willing to be as intimate with us as we will allow him to be, who will tell us all about ourselves, like he told a woman at a well. There's one who will tell us how much he loves us. There's one who's even willing to die for us. Guess what? He already did. He died for us. He was willing to give his life. That's how much he wants to know us. Why don't you trust him? Just try him. I tried him. I tried him. I took myself out of the seat of knowledge and power, and my life has been different ever since. My life has gotten better. I already had the education. I already had decent life. But oh, how God has blessed me. And it's not about money. It's not about position. It's not about being known by anybody out here. It's about being known by him. And oh, how I love him. I tell the world I love him. I'm not ashamed to let anybody know he's number one in my life. Yeah, I love my wife, but she comes number two solidly behind him. Children used to sing a song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. I was grown before I realized that that's an adult song. Oh, how I love him. Oh, how I love him. And my prayer is that you can come to know him as well. If you've never accepted him as your personal savior, be honest right now and say, I need somebody. Bow your head and say, Father, I have messed up. I don't know where to go. And so I'm confessing that I need you to be, a, be in my life. Show me one step at a time how to get better. I'm searching, Lord, for real love in people's faces when I need to come to you first. Bless us, Lord, with what real love is. Bless our relationships with other people that they might grow more intimate. We lift this and we ask it all in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.